0: So let me just sort of set the scene, what's happening for us liturgically. So we are, uh, yeah, in the, uh, I don't think we're having kids today. Yeah, um, we, uh, th- this is the scene that we're facing right now. So we are two weeks before uh, Easter. Uh, a week from now is Holy Week. And so we're beginning to hear about uh, about the death of Jesus, which is being proclaimed. And, um, and what the, the lectionary takes us to is that it takes us to uh, a place where we, where we reflect upon the nature of Jesus' priesthood. And so that's why we have this passage from Hebrews. And so I'm going to be reflecting upon the nature of, this, of the priesthood of Jesus uh, in the book of Hebrews. So this is Hebrews 4 and, first, uh, and 5. So there's a, a New Yorker magazine a cartoon. And every once in a while they have these cartoons. And they have one of these cartoons. And it's a, it's a, it's a lawyer who's asking his client, he's asking him an important question. And and he looks at him and he says, you know, it looks like you have a good case. How much justice are you willing to spend? (laughs) And it's a very relevant question for any of us that might get into legal trouble because it's expensive to hire a lawyer, isn't it? But it's a particularly important question if you're poor. If you're poor and you get into legal trouble. So on October 7th, 1979, Kathy Ulfers, the wife of a New Orleans police officer, was shot dead in her home. And the whole, the whole place had been ransacked. Um, and it, the, the, her husband said that they'd stole many things from their house. And, uh, and so the policeman thought, well, it's more than likely that they caught this guy as he was in the middle of stealing, and he just ran out of the house. Well, several months later, after being interrogated for five hours, uh, by the police, Reginald Adams confessed to the crime. Even though during his confession it was filled with all kinds of errors and he never got one of the facts right concerning the crime itself. But nevertheless, it was enough evidence for him to be convicted, convicted of, uh, with a sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. And then 34 years later, imagine this, 34 years later in prison, He was finally exonerated. He had served a sentence that he didn't deserve at all. And we might be asking this question, why would would he have been convicted of a crime that he had nothing to do with at all? And it came down to that there were just a lot of mistakes that his attorneys made. Now I'm going to tell you something that may be a shock to you, but not all attorneys are the same. They're not all the same. It matters who represents you. So if you're a poor person, more than likely you're going to be appointed uh, an overworked public defender who's going to defend you. A person who just doesn't have time to get into all the details of your case. But if you're a person with means, you can hire an attorney with a large staff who can so overwhelm the opponent even if the person is guilty. Now, it's not just in the courtroom where you need to have somebody to to represent you well. We need somebody to represent us well before God. We need a mediator to represent us. In fact, despite all the apparent differences between the different religions of the world, one thing that is true, every religion says you need some kind of mediator. A mediator to stand between the, the divine and human realms to represent us before God. And there's that similarity that we find. Now in a world with all these different mediators, because actually there are hundreds of religions out there, how do we know which one is the superior mediator? How do we know which is the best one? And so it's a question actually that's being asked uh, by the readers uh, of the book of Hebrews. So what we have in Hebrews are Jewish Christians who are contemplating leaving the church, going back to the synagogue, because they question the efficacy of Christ's atoning work on the cross. Now today, many people, and you'll come across them actually quite a bit. You know, you knock on doors, you talk to people just in daily life. People contemplate leaving the church all the time. And why do they leave? Well, oftentimes they leave because they feel like they've been hurt. You know, something, someone has been hurt by the pastor or somebody else in the church. Or they leave because, you know, they conclude, you know what, they're all just a bunch of hypocrites. You know, their, their lives are no different than anyone else. And so people contemplate leaving the church all the time. And the book of Hebrews speak, seeks to speak to those people. It seeks to speak to those who are thinking about jumping ship and, and going for, for something else, either going back into the world or, or going back to their old face because the crux of the argument of the book of Hebrews is this that Jesus the Christ is the best priest the best mediator for humankind now in Hebrews 4:14 that we just got through reading Jesus is called a great high priest now so what do we mean when we call Jesus a priest because priest now, it has all kinds of connotations, the word priest, uh, in this world today. And not necessarily positive ones, right? So, so what, what does it mean when we call Jesus a priest? Well, according to Hebrews 5.1, a priest is one appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. And so the priest acts as a mediator between humans and God, okay? So the priest is that mediator, okay? And to understand that role further, I want us to look at Leviticus chapter 10, verses 10 and 11, and that'll be projected. And what these are, these are instructions that that God actually gives to the priest. So he's speaking to the priest, saying, okay, this is what your role is going to be, okay? And this is what he says. He says, you are distinguished between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. And so the priests, one of the roles of the priests is they were to maintain distinctions. Distinctions between right and wrong. Distinctions between sacred and common. Why? Why was that so important? Because human beings have this tendency to want to blur things. We want to to get rid of distinctions. We want to embrace everything, right? It's all good. I think that's that's the reason we use that expression a lot, because we just want to embrace it all. It's all good. And priests do exactly the opposite. They maintain distinctions between what is right and what is wrong. And we see this priestly role in Jesus' life on occasion after occasion. Let me just give you a couple examples. So you remember the time when Jesus goes in the temple and he, and he overturns all the tables? Why is he doing that? Because he's trying to maintain the distinction between sacred space and common space. This was the temple, and it was to be kept sacred. Or, or why did he challenge the Pharisees on how they were interpreting the commandment to honor your father and your mother? Because he wanted to make and a distinction between the commandments of God and the traditions of men. And so these are examples of Jesus' priestly role. He's acting as a priest when he engages in, in these kinds of things. But Jesus is not just an ordinary priest. He is a great high priest is what Hebrew says. So in the religion of the Israelites, the high priest was the chief religious official. And he belonged to the Jewish priestly families that traced their paternal lineage to to Aaron. Aaron was the brother of Moses. And so if you're from that family, then you would become the the high priest. Well, as a great high priest, though, Jesus is distinct from the the priests of, of, of Aaron... Because, Hebrews says, of his exalted state. This is what Hebrew says. Because unlike other high priests, he has passed through the heavens and he now sits at the right hand of the Father. So what does that mean for us? You know, so here's Jesus. He holds this noble position. Can he possibly grasp our station in life? Can he possibly understand us? You know, so... He's exalted. He sits at the right hand of the Father. Uh, You know, he's he's concerned about making distinctions. But can he understand us? Can he understand us? How can he possibly, how can he possibly have our best interests in mind if he's so high and so exalted? How can he understand sinners like you and me isn't he just going to be more concerned about maintaining those distinctions that priests do? It wasn't just those addressed in the book of Hebrews who questioned if Jesus was the one who best represent them. It's people today. And maybe some of us. Do we really trust Jesus? You know, so many people today are filled with with sin and guilt. We've we've done things that we feel really guilty by. And what typically happens over the years of things that we feel guilty by, we may not even feel guilty anymore because there are layers and layers of of protection that we put over ourselves. But that guilt is still there whether we feel it or not. Others have been wounded by those who've sinned against them. They are victims um, because underneath they feel violated and, and they feel angry. And still, others just have this deep, deep, deep shame that there's something fundamentally wrong with them. And so many people just give up. They give up. They learn to deal with their pain uh, and they just decide they're just going to walk this, this life apart from any organized church. And in so doing, they're saying, you know what? I don't need a mediator between me and God, I'm good. I'm just going to take care of it myself. Or, and this is what typically happens with, with people that, um, that, that I've seen leave the church, is that they, they say, you know what, I'm just, I, I'm just going to follow Jesus and forget about the organized church. And what people are actually doing when they do that, they're actually saying, I'm going to create a Jesus of my own making. A Jesus who completely understands me and my circumstances. He understands I don't need to be part of a church. He understands that all I need is him. But you know what they're doing? They're not following scripture anymore. They're following, they're just following the Jesus that they create of their own making. Here's how the writer of the Hebrews responds to all this. So in chapter 4, verse 15, we read, We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Rather, we have one who is compassionate. And that's because Jesus, even though he was fully God, and we just talked about he was the son of God, fully the son of God. He came to this world as a human being in order to save us from our destruction. So think about this. The eternal word of God, the the eternal word of God who who created the world, who was with God from the beginning, came into this world in the very flesh that you and I have. And in the flesh, he was was tempted in every way that we've been tempted. So no matter what you've experienced, Jesus experienced the same thing. So just think about this. And, And this is really incredible if we start getting our mind around this. Jesus was tempted to gossip. Jesus was tempted to binge, to withhold forgiveness, to commit adultery, even to murder. In fact, we can't conceive any thought, any desire, any ambition, any anything, anything heinous that Jesus himself didn't experience himself because he's a human being like you and me. Have you ever had a a, a friend who just had gone through an experience just like you had gone? Who was just able to perfectly relate to what what you experienced? You know, just because they've been through whatever it might be, a divorce or some other difficult thing, they could really understand you. And you just feel this connection with this person. Well, that's the way Jesus is. Jesus is like that good friend, that good friend who who understands us so well. Now, we might look at Jesus, though, and say, yeah, okay, you know, that's, it's easy for Jesus to, you know, to have, have you know, experienced this. But the reality is, is that, you know what? Jesus was God. He was God. He's the Son of God. And so he's got these powers that we just don't have to be able to be faithful when we can't be. But have you ever noticed in Scripture that Jesus never uses his x-ray power in order to destroy his opponents? Jesus never flies across Israel in order to to save one of his friends. You never see that. You never see Jesus jumping uh, across the, 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 the temple walls, just catapulting himself because he's got these great powers, do you? You don't see these superhuman things, do you? And that's because although Jesus was the son of God, he came to the earth to live not as a God-man, but as a human being like you and me. He came to the earth living like a human being, like one of us. He chose so to relate to us, so to connect with us, so he could perfectly understand us. That's how he came. what we don't often consider is that the incarnation that Jesus coming into the flesh was actually costly for him it actually cost him something in hebrews 5:8 we read something strange jesus learned obedience through what he suffered jesus learned obedience through what he suffered Now, we know that Jesus was perfectly obedient in his life. That's what the scriptures say. In fact, Hebrews 4, 5 tells us that though he was tempted in every way that we were, he is without sin. And that means as Jesus encountered fresh circumstances like we do, his unfailing obedience to the Father's will was tested again and again. He was tempted over and over again to rebel against the Father, not the least of which was the night before his crucifixion. He was tempted to rebel against the Father. Jesus learned obedience in the sense that he came to fully appreciate what conforming to God's will involved as a human being on earth who constantly confronts opposition to the will of God. See, he understands what we experience. Because every time we attempt to do what is right, there's something always that opposes us, isn't there? We seek to God's will, and yet there's something that always wants to stand against us from doing that. And Jesus understands that. Because that's what he experienced. And as he did, his obedience in the flesh revealed his holiness. Because even though he was tempted, he never gave in. He is the perfect high priest for humanity because he was tested in every way. And yet he always obeyed the Father. So whatever it is that you're facing today, and you know what? We, I know that you know in a group like this, people are facing all kinds of things. Whatever you're facing today... I, I want you to just meditate on these words. We're going to project this. This is uh, Hebrews 4.16. And it's simply this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. So while Jesus sits high on this throne, lifted up, His is a throne of grace in which a people can receive grace who don't deserve any grace. A people can be shown mercy even though they don't deserve mercy. It's a throne of grace in which the grace of God is given to us to overcome whatever difficulty that we might face. In the Old Testament... Priests inherited their position. So you, you couldn't just say, apply for a job and say, yes, I'd like to be a priest. Uh, you actually had to inherit that position. So a boy who was born in the tribe of Levi, of the family of Aaron, they would be, that son would become a priest. That was what his assigned role in life was to be. This presents, though, a problem for the readers of, of, the, of the Hebrews. Hebrews. And that's because they know that Jesus is not of the tribe of Levi, but the tribe of Judah. He belongs to the tribe of Judah. And so how could he possibly be a priest who could deal with their sin? Particularly sins (coughs) that they have committed since becoming a Christian. How could that be? He doesn't seem to be the right intermediary if, if you're a Jew. Because they already have a means to deal with it. They're supposed to deal with priests that that from the tribe of Levi. Some people think that all religions um, are just different manifestations of the same path. That that, that basically, you know what, in the end it doesn't matter. We're all going to head toward that salvation. Just pick your guru, pick pick who you're going to, pick your uh, mediator. It doesn't matter. We're all going to the same place. And the assumption underneath that is that all intermediaries between God and man are effective. But the argument of the author of Hebrews is that isn't so. It just isn't so. So the sacrifices offered by the priest in the religion of the Israelites turned out to be so ineffective that they gave up the whole system when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. They had to rethink everything because, well, the sacrifices don't seem to be working. And we don't have a way to actually do the sacrifices anymore. In Islam, although Muhammad is touted as the final prophet, You can only be assured that you'll receive forgiveness if if your good works are greater than the number of, of, of evil things that you've done. Have you done enough to overcome all the evil that you've done? In Hinduism, you can never quite be sure if you've offered enough oblations uh, and labors to show correct devotion to Krishna. You can never quite be sure. But Jesus is different. He is a different kind of mediator. So in Hebrews chapter 7, so this is a few chapters from where we read, the author lays out the reasons why Jesus' priesthood is superior to that of the Levitical priesthood. And he does this, as he does this, I think you can almost hear the, the, the Israelites whom this book is addressing. Saying, really? Really? Is that really true? How could his priesthood be superior to the established priesthood in the Torah through Moses' brother Aaron? How could that possibly be the case? And the author of Hebrews will make two arguments for the superiority of Jesus' priesthood. And here's the first one. So here's the first one that uh, is is of the arguments. Only Christ, one perfect sacrifice, is sufficient. Only Christ, one perfect sacrifice is sufficient. So here's the problem with the old system. So the, the problem with the Levitical priest in the Old Testament. So so sacrifices would be required, and every day you would offer sacrifices. So the priest would come, and first he would make a sacrifice for his own sins. Because why? He was a sinner. And then after he made those sacrifices, then he would offer sacrifices for the people. But that wouldn't be the end of it. The very next day, because well, what, we sin, he would have to do the same thing. He would offer sacrifices for his sin, and then he would offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. But the effects of the sacrifices would never stick. New sacrifices would constantly be required because of the sins that continue to just build up day by day. And so another priesthood was superseded. And that's what the Old Testament begins to point to through the prophets. The priesthood of Jesus is superior because he doesn't have to offer new sacrifices in perpetuity. Because he offered himself as one holy, innocent, and unstained sins for the sins of the world. His sacrifice doesn't need to be repeated because he offered his body once and for all for the sins of the world. So the priest became the victim. The priest became the sacrifice. He himself, his was a complete sacrifice and his priesthood is complete is what the book of Hebrews will argue. Now, the second reason for the superiority of Christ's priesthood that, that, um, that Hebrews will talk about is that Jesus is a permanent priesthood. So Jesus Christ is a permanent priesthood. It is a, his priesthood is a permanent priesthood. So Levitical priesthood required many priests. Death brought an end to, the, end to the priest, though. So what would happen when a priest died? Well, then his son would take over, right? And then, the, and then when he would die, another, another would take over. And so over the span of several generations, there would be many, many priests. In fact, you'd have to keep having these priests. But unlike the Levitical priesthood, Jesus belongs to a priesthood that is eternal. It never comes to an end. So in Jesus' permanent priestly position, he always lives to make intercession for his people. Even right now, he's interceding for each person here. Even now, as he sits at the right hand of the Father in glory, he's remembering you. He's interceding for you. And this means the priesthood of Jesus is living and active today. It's not like the priests of the past who have come and gone Yes, Jesus died. But three days later, he rose from the dead. He appeared to more than 500 people. And then he ascended into heaven to sit in glory. If all the religions and all the religious leaders are just alternative priests who lead people to the truth, why are they all dead and Jesus is still living? The priesthood of Jesus is like no other. Because it's a living priesthood. It's a living priesthood that continues to today. And so you can always count on him. Because he is not a way, but the way to the truth and the life. Let's pray.